welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. Here in Big Church, we want to open up our Bibles to one place, and we'll reference some other places, but we'll have them up on the screen. So I believe these next 30, 35 minutes will truly change your life, because this is a subject that in many ways affects me, and if I'm not careful, it will get a hold of, I know certainly me, as well as you. And uh, you're in Numbers chapter 11. So you have your Bible, you pull out your pew Bible there in front of you, the black one, you open up to Numbers chapter 11. And this is a message here, uh, part of our in-between message, because what in-between is, is we're looking these next six weeks, we're in part three here, of this time period from when the Israelites... When they left Egypt, but before they entered the promised land, they're in the wilderness for 40 years, wandering around literally in circles, being led by a man named Moses. And they had to deal with a lot of issues, and God was preparing them in the desert for entering the promised land. And today's message, what this whole sermon is about, is on the sin of complaining. The sin of complaining. Now, I want to show you these Bible verses up on the screen. I'm going to tell you a couple of stories and tell you about an instance this week. It doesn't, you don't have to think very long, maybe a time I've complained. In the book of James, James chapter 5 verse 9 is up here on the screen. It tells us here, brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another. We're not to be complaining about one another. And it's easy to complain. Uh, the spirit of complaining is... Uh, uh, all around us, everywhere we go, you will find, you'll go to, well, you might not go to work in school tomorrow because it's President's Day, but on Tuesday when you go to work in school, you will probably hear someone somewhere complaining and griping about something. So then it says there, do not complain about one note so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. So all of a sudden you have even God is prepared to judge you there for your complaining words. Now, I'm going to give you another Bible verse. You want to write this down. If you struggle with complaining, like I do, you need to be aware of one psalm, because this is known as the complaining psalm. That is Psalm 142. You want to write down Psalm 142. That can be your homework this week. Psalm 142 tells us who to complain to. Because David, before he became the king, he was a fugitive on the run. And he had to hide in caves. He had to just do a bunch of wild things to uh, avoid uh, all sorts of, uh, basically, Saul and his army trying to kill him. And Psalm 142 tells us, it's up here on the screen, 142.2, David says, I pour out my complaint before him. I reveal my trouble to him. Meaning, David tells us, if you have a complaint, that you and I should take that complaint to God. So if you're going to complain, the only person you should complain to is the Lord. And in fact, if you want to complain to the Lord, you can actually pour your complaints out to the Lord. He can handle it. He can hear your plea. And we're going to see in this story here, this, uh, the scripture we're going to read in, in Numbers chapter 11, how Moses did take his complaint to God. This past week, <coughs> went to Chick-fil-A. I order a 12-piece uh, grilled nuggets, a fry, and a drink. Didn't even get a large size. 12.50. Can y'all believe this? 12.50. One person. 
I didn't biggie size. I mean, just plain old 1250. And I found myself thinking, I cannot believe inflation. 1250 to eat lunch. I mean, the ten dollar gift cards don't even cover lunch anymore. We shop at Costco. You, I mean, I already spent a mint when I go in there. And when you go to Costco, the checkout line goes all the way to the back of the store. After you check out, you then have to stand in another line. If you ever go there, you have to show your receipt. They check your buggy to make sure you're not stealing stuff, I guess. You know, sitting there going over this stuff. And I'm, all, I'm walking out thinking, this is unbelievable how long the checkout line. I've already bought the stuff. You've got the receipt. Just let me go. I'm having to stand in another line. It takes 30 minutes to leave the store. I mean, you're just poking along, waiting for them to check your buggy. I found myself this week complaining, so this is unbelievable how long it takes to walk out of a store after you buy the product. Driving down the road this week, I drive down Wellington Way where West Reynolds roads connect. There's a turn circle there. Have y'all seen the potholes at that turn circle? It is unbelievable how big they are. I was there, I'm sitting here thinking, this is outrageous. It's tearing cars up. Your tires are getting flat. I mean, bless your heart, if you were on a motorcycle, your motorcycle would fall into the pothole. Like you would get stuck. I mean, if you're going like really fast, you'll fly you off the motorcycle and you would die. I literally think, I'm going to go home. I'm going to get on the computer. I'm going to contact the... Fayette County Road Department and notify those people about these potholes at this, at this turn circle. Somebody in the city needs to fix this problem. And then finally, I pause and say, what am I doing? What am I doing? Do I need to go contact the city about potholes? I mean, do you see all those examples? Those are three examples that happened this week to me. I found myself Griping about lunch prices, $12.50 for a meal at Chick-fil-A. The line's too long to exit the store at Costco, and the potholes in Lexington are out of control. Out of control. Here, I'm going to put a, submit a ticket to the city and let them know to fix this problem. I didn't do it because God got a hold of me. So that's just, that, I'm sure 40,000 other people in the city have told the city about the potholes there. That, if we aren't careful... We will find ourselves going through life doing that all the time. I mean, it can never end. There's always an opportunity to complain. There's always a problem that someone else needs to fix. I mean, it's not my fault. It's all these other people's fault out there. They need to do something about this because it's an inconvenience to me. And I don't want to fix it. You have a family member in I don't think she watches our service. And we would go to family events. And her, she's an aunt, and her name is Janice. And, I mean, it was so bad when growing up. Janice is just negative Nell. She is just going to gripe and complain. And my parents, my parents aren't complainers. My mom maybe a little bit. My dad is the most open-minded man on earth. And he, uh, we would get in the car after like Thanksgiving or Christmas and we would just joke about what ridiculousness Janice is griping about. I mean, she would nitpick people. I mean, you're growing up, you're elementary. You need to put the spoon up. You need to pick, take your shoes off. You're dragging in dirt. I and mean, this is nonstop. Don't bounce the ball in the kitchen. I mean, it just goes nonstop. And we would even joke about her complaining. And what happens in our life, if you or I aren't careful we will find ourselves being the Janus in the family where you're just going around nitpicking and griping all the time. 
And you don't even realize it, but it's such a negative spirit that just impacts all of your family, all your co-workers, all the people you go to school with on Tuesday. You'll just be complaining. It is easy, easy to complain. There is all you complain at church. You can complain about your pastor. You can complain about the the city, the roads, uh, the prices, food costs, uh, anything you do. I mean, I, I was ups- I was trying to de- get, open the ESPN app yesterday, and it took forever for it to come on to watch the UK basketball game. It's like, what is taking? So I have turned the TV off, turned back on three times. And you're sitting there getting frustrated, griping, and I felt I needed to notify the whole house. Like, these are things I'm sure the children don't even care about basketball. They need to know that. You see, that is what happens. Like, I'm announcing to the whole house on Denver Lane, I can't open the app. What's wrong with the Internet? And you just find yourself doing these things. The Bible is about to speak about this. We are about to see in Numbers chapter 11 how a complaining spirit, negativity, bad attitude, griping, swept among the Israelites. And if you or I aren't careful, we have to look inside our hearts and say, God, have I developed, have I developed a complaining spirit? Do I just find myself? And I want to tell you something. Complaining is a prison. It will keep you locked up. And you don't even realize you're locked up. And everywhere you go, you'll just gripe all the time. I'm going to tell you, if you follow politics, it's very, very easy to complain about politics. Anything with government or with sports, you will just find yourself griping all the time. I mean, you just ask the, ask the fan base of any team. They will, all of them can be the head coach. Every fan in the stands knows what to do. I mean, they, are, they need to inform everybody of how, how to coach the team with that. So we're in our Bibles. Now, we're not going to read all 35 verses. I'm going to break this down, and I'm going to read five different sections. So you're not going to have to go through 35 verses because I'm going to get you out of here on time and, and not after 30 minutes. But we're in Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. I'm going to tell you what's going on here. We're about the second year there in the wilderness. And what's happening, they're having to follow this cloud. God is leading them in the wilderness, and He's preparing them. They're supposed to be. They weren't supposed to be spending 40 years in the wilderness. They're supposed to be getting their military, their armies together, because they're going to go up and take the promised land. That's originally what's supposed to happen. But they have some problems, the Israelites. They develop a bad spirit. And that's what the whole, whole book of Numbers is about. It's about the Israelites complaining the whole time. And so the, the, they're going to start talking about this hardship. And the hardship is, they have to, they pa- the Lord stops the cloud, and then they have to pack up, they, they pitch their tents, and they build campfires. And then the next day, the, the cloud would move. And they're like, we have to pack up. So like, it takes a lot. It's like when you go on a vacation, you just want to stay at the same hotel for one whole week. You don't want to stay every night, you have to pa- unload, load, Unload, load. That wouldn't be fun because all you're doing is unloading the car, loading it back up, unloading and loading. So what happens here is that's what the Israelites, they're tired of this hardship of uh, unpacking and packing. Numbers 11.1. Now, the people began complaining openly before the Lord about hardship. The key word in that verse is the word openly. You can complain to the Lord privately. In fact, that's the only type of complaining you and I should do. If you're going to complain, you just go straight to the Lord alone and you give your complaints to God. 
but openly means it goes out between, goes outside of you and the Lord. That means other people are starting to be impacted by your complaining. And that's what happened. This, it was hard. They're in the desert, and they're hot. And anytime people are hot, they're going to be complaining. If you go to Florida in July, all you hear is people talking about how hot it is. And you're hot, and you're getting burned, and you're miserable, and you want to leave, and you're sweating. And you're, I mean, it's just, it's just this, uh, it, you're just burning up all the time. Well, that's what's going on. They're in the desert, and they're hot. And they're having to pack up, unpack, move, set up, pack up, move. I mean, they're just in this cycle, following this cloud, and it's hard. So they say, when the Lord heard, his anger burned, and fire from the Lord blazed among them and consumed the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So outside the camp, the Lord sent a fire and started burning up maybe some people or uh, some of their supplies. They noticed all of a sudden a fire broke out. And then the Lord prayed and the fire went away. So that place was called Taborah because the Lord's fire had blazed among them. So we see, you would think after the, that's their first complaint right there. He just sent a fire, burned up a few things, there was some damage, but it wasn't bad. But now it's about to get really bad. So that's how they start out. You would think, and the key word in that passage was openly. They are openly griping about the Lord, about their hardship. I mean, in their mind, it was so much easier in Egypt. They didn't have to pack up and unpack all the time. So now we're going to get to the second section here. Verse 4, we're going to read verses 4 through 6. Now they're unhappy with their food selection. Have you ever been unhappy with the food you eat? Well, the food they ate was something from heaven. It was called manna. And it was supplied every morning by the Lord. They ate the same thing every day. Do you ever feel like your menu at your house is pretty much, it just rotates about every three or four, five different things? And when it comes down to it, you're only eating five different things. You're going to eat chicken or beef. And maybe a pork chop every now and then. And a fish if you're lucky. That's it. You just take, that's your rotation. Those four food groups. And you just rotate and you just feel like all I'm doing is eating the same thing over and over again. Well, now they're about to start griping about the food. But what's amazing about this is the Lord is every day giving them manna. Which, manna does not exist today. Manna only existed during this time period. And it was bread from heaven. It was heavenly food supplied by God. So, you can't order manna today if you go, go out to eat this afternoon. So look what's about to happen here. And the key word here is the second word. We're in verse 4. Now this is, this is dangerous for them because they already experienced complaining openly, but they didn't learn their lesson. Verse 4. The riffraff, you don't hear that word used a lot today, the riffraff. The riffraff are people who did not respect the Lord. That means you have all these Israelites, but there were some people over here, they were different. They didn't have an honor for the Lord. Riffraff people are going to start stirring up the other people and causing problems. These would be like your troublemakers. These would be like in the old days of me growing up, the people who would go around horse playing, they would say, just getting in trouble. They're just uh, up to no good. That's to, so the riffraff among them had a strong craving for other food. 
They weren't pleased with the manna. The Israelites wept again and said, so notice the riffraff, a small group of people, they started influencing the other people. And that's what complaining does. That's why it's so dangerous to have a complainer in your family. Because other people are pulled down and they're influenced. Who will feed us meat? We remember the free fish. Well, I love the word free fish. As if the manna cost anything. The food they ate was free. It showed up every morning via the Lord. It just appeared right there. They didn't pay a dollar for it. There was no inflation. They did, it cost twelve fifty at Chick-fil-A. It was free food. But now they're talking about the free fish they used to eat. As if they paid for that food. We remember the free fish we ate in Egypt. Along with the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. I don't really know about that menu there. Onions and garlic and cucumbers. But I guess if all you eat is manna, you're sitting there thinking, I wish I had a cucumber. So whatever, but that's what they're thinking about. So, they're longing for something different. They want fish. They want some melons. And it says here, but now our appetite is gone. There's nothing to look at but this manna. Meaning, we are just staring at this bread over and over and over again. The purpose of the manna was to remind the people that God is supplying all of your needs in the middle of the desert. You're in the middle of the desert. You have no food. You have no hunting skills. Yet there's food that just appears every day. The opposite of complaining is to be thankful. They should be thankful for their manna, but instead of being thankful, they're griping about their manna. And now they won't meet. And the Lord is going to judge the riffraff in this verse. These people who started this, uh, this complaining, they're going to pay the price. So what happens, the thing about we have to watch out for, and looking at this verse, if you find yourself this week, and you're around someone else, and they start to get a complaining spirit, or they're griping, you have to step back and realize, do you know, is this, maybe like in my case, when I was growing up, Janice, is she just griping about other stuff, other people, gossiping, talking about how bad the food is, how much stuff costs, how long the line is, the bad potholes. And it's just, it never ends. And you have to step back and realize, I'm not going to be a part of this. Well, the Israelites fell into the trap. They went along with the riffraff complainers, and they found themselves griping about the food. They longed for this other food. And that shows the spirit of discontentment. It tells the Lord, it says, Lord, this here is not enough. If only I had, I would, and you fill in the blank, I would be happy. And the truth is, when you are saved, if you're saved by the blood of Jesus, you have everything you want in life. Because you have eternal life in Christ. He meets all of our needs. Every single uh, desire of our hearts, the Bible says in Psalm 37 verse 4, the Lord meets. So these people just, they did not want manna. They began griping. But probably the average Israelite, if the riffraff people didn't stir them up, they would have gone along with whatever, they were just content. content. If you grow up and all you eat is meat and potatoes, and that's all you know, you just keep eating old meat and potatoes. 
Because that's all you knew. You didn't know about other types of food. You didn't know that. You moved to Lexington, there's a new restaurant here on the block. Every, city, every type of food in the world's in the city. We, but you live out in the country and all you had was meat and potatoes special and that's all you know. Well, now these other people are trying to say, we need fish. We need melons. We need onions and garlic. We're missing something. The Lord is withholding goodness from us. So they take this complaint to Moses and he begins to hear. But Moses responds differently than the people. Moses doesn't go about complaining to other people. When he had a complaint, Moses, just like we should, and just like David teaches us in Psalm 142, he took his complaint to the Lord. And look at this. Look at verse 10 here. We're going to read verses 10 through 15. This is Moses' response. The verses we skipped over describe the types of manna. But now Moses here is going to respond. Moses heard the people, family after family, weeping at the entrance of their tea. I mean, they're crying. They're, you ever had your children cry? The food's so bad, they're crying at the kitchen table. I mean, they're crying over eating manna. It's that bad. They're so miserable. At the entrance of their tits, the Lord was very angry. Moses was also provoked. But Moses asked the Lord, Why have you brought such trouble on your servant? Why are you angry at me? And why do you burn me with these people? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth so you should tell, tell me, carry them on your breast as a nursing mother carries a baby to the land that you swore to give her ancestors? Where can I get meat to give all these people? For they are weeping to me. Give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people myself. Moses saying, Lord, what am I to do? Look, all I eat is the same old stuff they eat. All we do is sit around eating manna all the time. And Lord, these people are whining to me nonstop about their food selections. And he says, they, and look what he says in verse 14. Moses is very honest with the Lord. He says, I can't carry all these people by myself. They are too much for me. Moses felt like he was at a breaking point. He says, Lord, this is too much. I can't handle this anymore. I'm overwhelmed. Lord, and then he felt the only way out. When you feel like you're at a breaking point, in Moses' case, he says, verse 15, if you are going to treat me like this, please kill me right now if I have found favor with you and don't let me see my misery. Moses didn't know what to do. He's saying, God, just take me home. I want to die. I can't handle this anymore. I'm at a breaking point in my life. This is overwhelming to me. And Lord, it's just best that I just die and just go join you in heaven because this is beyond. There's a lot of people here around us that are at their breaking point. And they're, but they're not crying out to the Lord. They're trying and crying out and using all sorts of other things. They're turning all sorts of substances and other people and other desires. But Moses properly took his complaint one-on-one to God. If you're ever at the breaking point and you feel like, I can't handle this anymore, what do you do? You take it to God. We, Moses went directly to the Lord in this case. And he was very forthright and honest. He says, this is too much of a burden for me to handle. And the Lord had a solution. The Lord had an answer for that. Look at the answer. It's in verses, we're going to read verses 16 and 17. These two verses. The Lord answered Moses, Bring me 70 men from Israel known to you as elders and officers of the people. 
take them to the tent of meeting. That was the place outside the camp that Moses would meet with the Lord. Take me to the tent of meeting and have them stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there. I will take some of the Spirit who is on you and put the Spirit on them. They will help you bear the burden of the people so that you do not have to bear by yourself. So what God is doing is He's saying, Moses, I recognize you are overwhelmed. You need some helpers. You need some assistance. So I'm going to, you go find 70 men and you bring them to the tent of meeting and your spirit is now going to spread on all these men and they are going to help you lead these complaining, negative people whining about the food. So the burden is not greatly upon you. What's amazing about this, this isn't the first time Moses had this burden. Remember when right before they went to the um, Mount Sinai, Moses says day and night he was judging the people. And Jethro, his father, realized Moses wakes up in the morning. He spends all day listening to these cases. And then afterwards, he, uh, all the way tonight, he, you know, he's finally done. You need some more judges, some assistance to help you make decisions. Moses multiple times had multiplied his responsibilities. Being a judge, now also taking the burden of complaining. He says these 70 people, they'll have the Spirit of the Lord and they can listen to the complaints. Because Moses, you don't need to have this burden so much upon you. So what happens here is when we feel like we are overwhelmed, we go and tell the Lord, it says, Lord, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. And the Lord always provides an answer. If you are overwhelmed, if you have a burden this morning, do you know you take that to God? If you're tempted, the sin will be to start complaining about your burden and start sharing it at work and school and church and letting other people know. But if you want a solution to your burden, you take it to the Lord and the next verse, God provided the solution. He says, I'm going to start, my spirit is going to be upon other people and I'm going to help you with your burden. The Bible tells us we lay our burdens. We bring our needs. Whatever we're struggling, wrestling with, we bring it to the Lord. We bring it to God. And we see that with Moses right here. All right, we're going to skip down to our last few verses today. I'm about to skip a lot here. We're going to skip these all the way down to verse 31. Now, the verses I skipped over were about the various people who were appointed and who received the Spirit of the Lord. It was a big adjustment. And people had to get used to other people having the Spirit of the Lord upon them. And they eventually did. And even, even um, um, uh, Joshua had to get used to that as well. So uh, you start to see, and they had some jealousy issues, but they overcame that because God's solution was to have a burden lifted off of Moses. But then we get down to verse 31 because the Lord, even though they were complaining about the food, the Lord is going to provide for them their meat, their ass. Now understand, they woke up every morning and they had bread sitting there on the ground and they would eat their manna. That was where their bread. But they wanted some meat. So now we're about to see quails come in. Low-flying birds from the sea are going to show up. A wind, verse 31, last few verses we're going to read here. A wind was sent by the Lord, came up and blew the quail in from the sea. It's probably the Red Sea or the Mediterranean Sea, some sea around there. All these birds, they just showed up, and the Lord's bringing them in. He says, it dropped them all around the camp. 
they were flying three feet off the ground for about a day's journey in every direction. These were low-flying birds. Mo- probably most birds fly way up in These little birds are flying three feet off the ground. Low-flying birds, they would fly in from the sea in all the different directions. All these birds, you wake up and here comes the birds, the low-flying birds, and they come right in the camp and die. And there they are. They're just right there. Every morning, birds would show up and die at your camp, right next to the manna. You just see how the Lord provided. Now, God originally didn't want to bring these low-flying quail birds to die at the camp. All they needed was manna, bread from heaven. But because of their complaints, the Lord listened and He actually met their needs. And it says here in verse 32, The people were up all that day and night, and all the next day gathering the quail. The one who took the least gathered 60 bushels, and they spread them out all around the camp. While the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the Lord's anger burned against the people. So, understand, God is going to judge the riffraff people back in verse 4, who stirred up all the people for wanting this meat. They've got the meat, they're still eating the meat, they're chewing up. The Lord's anger burned against the people. And the Lord struck them with a very severe plague. So they named that place Kerith Hathith because they were buried, because they buried the people who had craved the meat. The people who had craved the meat would have been the riffraff that stirred them all up, that brought up all the complainers among the people. And many people died and were buried because they desired, they were not content with what the Lord provided. And I think the principle for us we see here is if you're going to complain, you only take your complaints to the Lord. And if we do complain to other people, we are judged by that. These people who complained about the food, who complained about the hardship, they were met with a judgment from the Lord. Now, in our personal life, there's two things that complaining does for us. And we have to be aware of this. This is why we have to be aware. We make sure we don't have a complaining spirit. Number one, the reason we don't want to complain is because it is completely draining on other people. It's a, just a drag. Other people don't even know what to do when you're just unloading on them. What are they to do? How are they to respond? What can they do? All you're doing is lowering everything by being a complainer. You're providing no solutions. You're griping. It's negative. And they're just like, well, and then if you're not careful, they become complainers. And then you're just creating a, a, a negative home. And you want to, I want to tell you, if some of you have a complaining member of your house, you want to you wanna confront them. You want to do it privately one-on-one and say, you need to go to the Lord with your complaints and your attitude. It's pulling down the other family members. It's not healthy for our house. It's not God-honoring. We can't even do anything about it. What can I hand, how can I handle this situation? And you have to make sure, is my house, has it, has it become a complaining home? My work, my school, my friend circles. Because in our world today, everywhere you go, you will see it. And knowing that, the reason we also don't want to complain, it is rooted in discontentment. Discontentment means... Lord, I'm not thankful. 
because I'm missing something. This is not enough. I'm lacking in this area. Believers must remember we have everything we need in Christ. And this morning, we look at our lives and say, God, if there's a complaining spirit among me, I ask that you remove it. You know, a lot of times throughout life, we're faced in uh, difficult situations. And it's easy. And a lot of us have different giftings and callings and skill sets that in many ways only we can do it. And it would be easy to gripe about that. A perfect example of this, on April 26, 1986, there was a nuclear power plant, it's actually in northern Ukraine, and this was in the news two years ago when Russia started attacking Ukraine. It's called Chernobyl. Chernobyl was the largest nuclear meltdown plant in the history of mankind. And it could have been a massive, huge disaster. And it still was a disaster, but it could have been even worse. And the reason it wasn't as bad is because of three men known as the Chernobyl Three. And what happened, these three men, they were maintenance engineers. The the plant started melting down. And water started flooding the nuclear reactor, which made that water radioactive. And for some reason, they needed to drain, and you can go on the History Channel, they've made movies about these men, you can read all about them. You had to, they had to drain the water from the nuclear reactor for some reason. And these three maintenance engineers knew exactly where the valve was. So the average person, like a firefighter, now understand, the, it, the, the water is now radioactive. It's dangerous water. I mean, it just burns. So these were the only three guys that would know how to get into this place in pitch black dark and find where the valve is and drain all the water. So the average fireman, the average policeman, the average volunteer who'd like to save the world or save Eastern Europe, they just couldn't do it. So these three men volunteered and says, hey, that's our job. It's our calling. They literally said goodbye to their family for the last time. And they put their suits on, went into there, took flashlights with them, and were found the valve and drained the water, which actually saved the nuclear reactor from exploding even worse there at Chernobyl. And what amazing about that story is they were uniquely qualified. They were the only ones to do it because they did all the maintenance on that reactor. So the what happened, they could have easily complained about, obviously, the situation because it was almost certain death for them to go in there and do that. Now, the great thing is they were exposed to lots of radiation. Their legs were burned and because they were walking through that water, but now one passed away later, but two of them are actually still alive. Now, they had some side effects from all of this, but their heroism saved, in many ways, millions of other people. So the principle for us in that story is our lot in life, the people you have influence over, the people who you come in contact with throughout your week, you can find yourself being a person who's saying, you know, I'm going to make this situation better, even though it's a terrible situation. I'm sure if you're dealing with a nuclear meltdown reactor, that's a terrible situation. You could easily be complaining about that, like whose fault is this? Who messed up? Or you could say, I'm going to do the absolute best I can, given the circumstances. And this week, God's going to put all of us in, oper- in situations where it's not going to be the best circumstances, or we can respond saying, Lord, 
this is my lot in life, and I'm going to respond in a God-honoring attitude and not have a complaining spirit. And if I do feel the need to complain, I'm going to take it only to the Lord. Just like David tells us to in Psalm 142, verse 2. This morning I ask you, if you are struggling with a complaining spirit, if you find yourself, and maybe you have a nuclear reactor meltdown in your home or in your life, instead of griping about it, you need to say, God, I, I need to adjust my attitude because I'm pulling all these other people around me, including my children and grandchildren, down. And they're not seeing their father or their mother or their grandparents being godly and using this opportunity to trust in, the, in you, Lord. If that is you, you, know, you don't have to come forward and make it public, but in your pew, you need to rededicate your language and your attitude to say, Lord, remove from me a complaining, bitter, negative spirit and put inside me a spirit of thankfulness. Most importantly, Lord, I'm thankful that I have you, Lord. You have saved me. And my home is in heaven. Beach, I'll invite you in the band. Y'all come forward here. We're going to have our invitation. This is our time we respond. When we come to a worship service, there's three parts, four parts of worship service. First, worship service, we sing. We give all the praise to the Lord. Second, we give. Giving is the act of worship. Thirdly, we have here a message from the Word of God. And Word of God changes our life. Sermons should be built on the Bible. And the fourth part of a worship service is responding. We respond to God. And when, you don't, when God tells you, when God commands you, when God is urging you to do something, and you do not respond to the Lord, you're living in disobedience. It's disobedience. And God calls and demands that we respond to Him. And, if, and for some of us, we need to repent. We are in this in-between time. You're in the desert. You're in the wilderness like the Israelites were. And unfortunately, while they were in the desert and wilderness, instead of becoming more Christ-like and having a better godly attitude, they developed a complaining attitude. And, and the Lord judged them for that. So I'm going to invite everyone to stand up. And if you need to make a decision to ask the Lord to repent of your complaining attitude, you just do that in the pew. If you want to join our church, I stand down here with Zach Bauer. You come take our hand. If you want to get saved this morning, we trust in Jesus as our Savior. He gives us a home in heaven. John chapter 14 tells us we have a room with Him in heaven. If you want to follow Jesus this morning, now is our time to respond to the Lord. All right.